Welcome to another virtual author event at the Poison Pen Bookstore. I am John Charles, and today the Poison Pen is delighted to have back with us virtually author Andrea Penrose, whose new book, The Diamond of London, will soon be available in bookstores and libraries near you. Before we begin, I would like to let those tuning in know that the Poison Pen does have copies of The Diamond of London on order, and if you'd like one held or put in the mail, just give us a call or go online to the Poison Pen Bookstore. Now I'd like to welcome Andrea Penrose. Thank you so much for having me, John. Thank you for joining us today, Andrea. My first question to you, like many authors, is what can you tell us about yourself before you became a published writer? Um, well, you know, I think I have a left brain, right brain love affair with the printed page. I, um, I started out as a graphic designer, really. That's what I majored in at, at college. And, uh, but in publication design, I've always loved books and being an avid reader from a very early age. And I loved um, designing word and image. And then slowly, I always have loved writing and I did it as a child. I slowly decided I wanted to try write my hand at writing a book and I wrote a Regency romance and was lucky enough to sell it and switch gears and switched um you know sort of main professions um mid uh, midstream and um I I really love it um what made you decide to start in Regency romances was that something you had read um you just that was what you thought. Well, you know, Jane Austen. I blame Jane Austen. <laughs> I, you know, I fell in love with that as an early teenager, and then, of course, I discovered Georgette Hare, mm -hmm. and that was that was it. I just thought these were marvelous stories. I loved the era, um, not only for the the romance of it, the wonderful balls and the and the country home, but then the more I I also studied a lot of history in college and I became so fascinated. It's really the birth of the modern world. And um, like our society, the Regency was going through tremendous flux in both art, music, politics, um, science. I mean, technology with the industrial uh, revolution was really changing the world with frightening speed, just like we feel. And people were, People were in flux and they were challenging ideas from the past, which is really how Lady Hester fits into all of this. Um, people were questioning old rules and old um, mores of society and, and they were trying to see what was this new world going to offer. And especially it was the first um, Mary Wollstonecraft was writing the first feminist manifestos really. And women, um, especially ones who who read and were lucky enough to have intellectual discourse, which Hester was from a very prominent political family, and she was exposed to these ideas, and she really um, she wanted to have the same opportunities as men, and, and saw no reason. She was incredibly smart. She came from a brilliant family and was just as talented and. Um, she really wanted to be be part of making a difference, be very interested politically. And so she just sort of fascinated me when I, I really began looking into her life. 
as a sidebar for those tuning in who might not be familiar, can you kind of briefly explain the Regency era so they know what we're doing? <laughs> it, well, it, easy, a, a good way to start is to say it's Jane Austen's era. It, it's, okay. Historians define it really as 1800, where the Napoleonic Wars were really beginning, to 1838 when Queen Victor, when the last King George IV died and and Queen Victoria came to the throne. So it's really those first 38 years of, of the 1800s. Um, and as I said, the Napoleonic Wars were raging you, and you just had a lot of different things happening in, in society. It's a fascinating time period. I think a long time ago, another author explained its fascination to me that I thought was quite clever. Um, the Regency era is far enough in the past to seem glamorous, but close enough to us that it doesn't seem strange, like the Tudor times. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good one. And I, I think more and more I try when I talk about what I write is to say the parallels with today are really interesting. So while some people might say, oh, histor you know, history is just sort of way in that dusty past, and yet I I say, no, actually, they're grappling with many of the same challenges we are. And it's fascinating to look back and um, see how they handled things. Now, if I um, understand correctly from my research, you've written a number, you've written romances, mysteries, everything set in the Regency period, but you were reluctant to do what you call a fictional biography until you learned a little bit more about Esther. Yeah, yeah. It seemed I at first I had trouble getting my head around the idea of I've got to take a a, a real life person and then um, somehow construct dialogue and what she's feeling. And I thought that's that's a daunting challenge. But then I began. Luckily, she as I said, she came from a very prominent family, so her letters were preserved. Her, in fact, her niece. Um, published a collection in the late 1800s of her letters. So I was able to read and get a sense. She's, she, she was a prolific letter writer, both to friends and to other, to politicians, because she served as a private secretary for her uncle, who was prime minister of, of Great Britain. And so um, I really, I, I, I got a sense of her. She had a very pithy sense of humor. She could be very sharp and acerbic. I mean, she was a difficult person um, many times, but but I also got, there was an incredible loyalty to her family and especially her younger half brothers. So, you know, she had some hard edges. She pushed and, you know, made enemies, but um, at heart, I, I also thought she was incredibly, um, uh, loyal and sometimes to her own, you know, giving, you know, to her own detriment, really, detriment. looking looking out for others um, and putting herself on the line for them. So she, she just, I, the more I read about her, the more I just really wanted to tell her story because I think she's an amazing person. And she was involved with so many other prominent people. I read I read biographies about the three men she was romantically entangled with who were very prominent um, in in society. So I the more I looked, the more I really had 
source material and felt um, that I could fairly accurately depict what what was happening in her life and and um, and then it became sort of a fun thing to try and imagine her, you know, based on what I read, to then feel I could put my own um, um, fictional writing skills to, to make her come alive in the way that I saw her. And that's why it's really a biography inspired by her life, because I'm obviously interpreting it through my eyes too and it was just it became a really fascinating project um you kind of anchor your story of hester around four different men in her life can you tell us a little bit about each of them and what role they played with hester well you know when you start with hester you really have to start with her family history so I, i'll bore you the diamond actually is not is is a big thing in her life. Her great great grandfather um, was a um, an adventurer. Really, he went to India to to do commerce, and the East India Company found him a thorn in their side, and so hired him. So he became very wealthy um, working over there. But then he also, um, by hook or by crook, it's not clear how he um, obtained this. Uh, it's it's now probably next to the Hope Diamond, the most famous diamond in the world. It's yeah. huge. And he it was called the Pitt Diamond when he got it back to to um, to England, uh, smuggling it in the in the heel of his son's shoe. <laughs> he had it recut. He ended up selling it to the French regent um, who was going to be crown king. And it became known as the Regent Diamond. And it's now in the Louvre. Yeah. But um, he became fabulously wealthy from this diamond and the Pitt family began to intermarry with the Stanhope family and the Grenville family. And that um, Hester's, um, they were a family of brilliant politicians. At one point, practically every main uh, official in the government w was either a Pitt, a Grenville or a Stanhope, and they were all related. They were cousins and uh, and then her other cousins were a, a, a fabulous war hero, you know, a, a celebrated war hero. Um, it, it's just an incredible family. So the diamond, this this whole idea of being adventurous, of being brave and kind of reckless too, um, I feel really tied into her. Her father was um, a brilliant scientist, totally eccentric. He raised his children. Um, he sort of believed in the philosophy of Rousseau, who said, nature is really best and society corrupts the kids. So she she spent her childhood feeding chickens. I and mean, here she is an aristocrat. And the, the boys, one of them, Eridu and Earldom, is working as a blacksmith, as a blacksmith's assistant, because he felt manual labor taught you um, how to appreciate life. And so he was, he was, and then he became radical. Um, he, he supported the French Revolution. He, he uh, you know, believed the aristocracy should be abolished. So he was, he was a very, and then became very autocratic at home. He basically locked the kids, even when they were in, in their teen years, he wouldn't let 
the the his his heir attend any school he was they were taught at home so she fought to she arranged for him to escape that tyranny and um and butted heads with her father and had to leave and go live with her her relatives the pits in london which is where she finally got into society in her early 20s mm. um, so do you want me to that then go through some of the other men <laughs> um yeah because i found them fascinating you kind of gave me a, a new appreciation for um george bo brummel yeah yeah we have these preconceived notions of Exactly. from what you read and all of a sudden you yeah. think oh maybe there's another side to it, them it was i found brummel fascinating too again for listener if anyone who's you know knows the regency a little from from various novels he was the arbiter of style he was this fashion plate and wit and a friend of the of the prince regent but um in, in real life, he came from a humble background and um, got a scholarship to attend Eton and, and Oxford and realized he had very, um, um, he liked the high life. He liked living with his rich friends. And the only way he could do that was to make himself entertaining and useful. The Prince Regent began to uh, depend on his um his sense of style to help him choose paintings, how to dress. Um, and he enjoyed that, but he also resented it. You know, he felt trapped too. He he had no control over his own life. And Hester, when she came, being a woman in that era, she lived very nicely with her pit relatives, but she had no money, no control over, over her life. And she chafed against that too. So when they first met, Brummel, she's a this young woman who has no polish really, and Brummel sort of took her under his wing. They they met at a party. They seemed to hit it off, um, sensing kindred souls, and he sort of helped her learn how to navigate the um, the very you know tough society where yeah. you know critical, where you have yeah. to be critical and duplicity, you know, gossip and, and backbiting. She learned how to, you know, survive in that, uh, in that um, milieu, really through, through some of Brummel's. Um, and uh, that relationship, they were, they were speculation that there might've been a, a romance, but mm -hmm. really most people agree they were simply friends and, yeah. and enjoyed enjoyed each other's company and and could share share their feelings um you know then her next um uh, you know romantic is is a cousin uh, or a second cousin again a, a pit he is a, a direct descendant of um thomas pitt who had the diamond pit um and he is known as the half mad lord because he he really has a temper and you know these days maybe we would call him you know borderline spectrum or whatever but he 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 runs away from home becomes a a midshipman um in the navy which again he's heir to an to um uh a baron he's actually a baron um and he 
they he comes home after having getting in a lot of trouble in the navy he's he's just constantly having trouble with his superiors and they he he again is very reckless and he appeals i think his wildness appeals to hester because she's just you know chafing against the restrictions too and they they have quite a um uh, a romance he he they she sleeps with him um it's pretty much recognized which it, again is quite a step for for a woman in the regency mm -hmm. um the family begins to sense scandal and is trying to separate them and um then it, it, the the half mad lord it, you know helps everybody out by getting himself killed in a duel so uh, she has she is now um working with her uncle as as his private secretary and she sort of this is sort of the flower of of she's she's um mm -hmm. with him at um he's at walmer castle along the southern coast because he resigns the prime minister because he disagrees with the king over um the uh, policy for catholic emancipation he he feels that, that that should happen and so he resigns and he has another uh, title and duty to to keep the coast safe from invasion of france and and but he is and he and his supporters are sort of trying to as war as, as the as napoleon looks like he's really going to um uh, you know ignite Europe into war, his supporters start working to bring him back to power, pit back to power. And this is where Hester is working with politicians are asking her advice on things and trying to reach pit through her. And um, she is in her element. This is probably the happiest she has ever been. Um, and when they, when Pitt does become prime minister again, um, it's very interesting. He becomes prime minister um, in, I, I think, like May, and two months later, Napoleon crowns himself emperor. And in the coronation sword is the Pitt diamond. Wow. <laughs> it's just these, you know, you couldn't make some of this yeah. stuff up. The connections that. Um, that tie these this family into amazing events in in history and so she goes back to london and again sort of the bell of the ball and she falls very much in love with a very prominent diplomat who um if you look at his portrait um painted by the famous sir thomas lawrence it's a full-length portrait and he was known as the most beautiful man in in Britain, and he is, he is quite quite a a good looking man. Um, she thinks this is perfect. I if I marry him, I'm I'll be a politician's wife. I'll be able to advise him, and you know I would love to travel, and you know he would probably have diplomatic posts. Um, and so she is smitten and he seduces her. They, they are, they have a, a fairly um, intense um, affair. They are sneaking out to meet each other. Um, but little does she know he is, she has a long-term 
relationship with another woman who is married, so he can't marry her. But again, poor Hester is sort of caught in in the middle of this, and um, and then when she learns that he has no intention of offering marriage, in fact, her her um, uncle is sending him to Russia as an ambassador to break up. He was unaware they were having an affair until. Um, he realized something was going on and he needed not to have a scandal affect mm -hmm. his his thing. So Hester is really devastated and um, um, you know I won't I don't want to give too much away yeah. in the book, but um, and and so um, you know then she's coming to her Pitt actually is in ill health, he dies, he's suddenly out of the limelight and of course as a woman all the friends in high places that used to bow and you know treat her well and invite her she's no longer of use to 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 them um and she has to adjust to um living on her own on a very small stipend that her uncle generously got the king to provide for her um, and she turns to um, really nurturing her two younger brothers who are in the army. And um, at that point, she reconnects with a general she met, um, a very famous general, um, that she met through Pitt when they were down on the southern coast. He is, um, he really turns out to be the love of her life. He is this um, amazing, I, every, I've read a number of things about him and no one, I couldn't find anyone say an unkind word about this man. He was one of those true heroes. He was um, incredibly courageous in battle. He cared about his men, so treated them very well, um, was a brilliant strategist, um, but had, had, such um, a strong sense of honor too that he butted heads with the politicians. He would tell them you can't, when they wanted the peninsular war in Spain and, and Portugal were heating up and he thought their um, um, strategy was very flawed and um, he fought with them. They disliked that he um, criticized them publicly, and they then appointed him to take over the army there, even though he knew it was um, a, going to be a disaster. He didn't think, they were thinking the Spanish would um, support the British army when it moved in, and it didn't. And um, Hester tried to help him navigate the politicians and, and change minds, but he couldn't, um, and they, they, uh, the, the historians disagree whether they did have a, 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 a promise to marry when he, he felt very strongly it wasn't right to marry someone going off to war. Um, I'm the romantic, so I choose, <laughs> when I, I read their letters to them, to each other, and I, I, I'm convinced that they truly were in love. And so off he goes to war and her two younger brothers are clamoring to be part. They go as his adjutants too. Mm -hmm. So now the three people she loves best are in harm's way and she's sitting there and waiting. And 
Um, it, it's it, 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 uh, they are forced to the British Army is as as General Moore anticipated was forced um, uh, to retreat to the coast. They were facing overwhelming odds, and um, the the British Navy was going to take them off. And the French were right up, very close to the city, and Moore chose to do the, the rear guard and save his army. He could have, as the commanding officer, probably should have been the first on a boat. No, he chose to, to um, and he was he was killed in, uh, in the battle. Um, and, and her older brother was killed and her younger brother was badly wounded. So um, this is what she's facing. And yet still she reinvents herself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a remarkable story. Her strength and her courage in the face. What I loved about her was, um, you know, she she had some amazing triumphs. She had um, devastating defeats, her personal defeats. You know, having her 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 um, aspirations sort of crushed um, time and time again, and yet she never sort of lost faith in herself. She never sort of said. I just have to, you know, um, give it up. And I, she could have married well and, you know, been mistress of an estate uh, through her family connections. She refused to do that. She just believed in herself. Um, and then she, you know, she took her younger brother off to Greece to um, recuperate or the Mediterranean. And lo and behold, she creates that's a whole other book she creates a whole new life for herself um it is it's really an extraordinary story you really have so many wonderful details about her and she's such a fascinating figure when you were doing your research what did you discover about hester that surprised you the most that you never thought this is something i would not imagine um you know it was um when she was at the castle with her, you know, I always, it was very much, she was very political. She was very, really loved that, that sort of milieu. And she, she adored her uncle who never married. And so she was his hostess too. And um, uh, she, she knew that he liked to walk and sort of think outdoors. And it was very sort of barren. It was a very old castle, you know, from, you know, the 1300s. And so it's sort of dour and sitting on this very flat thing. She decides she's going to create a garden. And lo and behold, she becomes this amazing um, gardener. She, she learns something about design. The fun thing is she is an extraordinary horsewoman. She she's rides astride and she's sort of the 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 local army, the, the 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 troops stationed there and the regiments fall in love with her because she rides out with her uncle, who isn't particularly a good horseman, and she wears this red, you know, a, a, a woman's version of a of a military tunic. And um, you know, tall black boots, and she rides beautiful. They 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 cheer whenever she shows up. Well, when Pitt goes away on a trip to London, she's she's going to get this garden done. She has all the trees, you know, mature trees and things. And 
she goes to the local militia commander and says, I need the troops. They're coming to you. And she she gets the army planting this wow. for her. But that was something I never would have, you know, she just, that meant something to her. So she learned how to do it and plan the garden and made it happen. Hmm. It's, and it's still today, it's still there at Warm, Warmer Castle. And it's talked about as Lady yeah. Hester's garden. Um, it, it's really, she just was was sort of that type of person. If she decided um, that that something needed to be done, she would figure out a way to do it. And, and again, it was sort of taking care of the people she loved and, and trying to make their lives um, comfortable. One of the things, well, two of the things that I love about your um, books, all of them, is that you have this way of showing people who might have kind of a stereotype about historical period that there really is a wide range of people, events, and things. I mean, you think a woman like Hester, that has to be a fictional character, but she really was a real person. And the other thing you demonstrate is that um, history is not set in stone. We are constantly reevaluating how we look at different time periods. We discover new things. For a long time, especially, women were kind of relegated to the side when it came to historical events. And now we're discovering really how much they played parts in different events. Yeah, I think, I mean, I am excited about that. I think you know, the traditional narratives had a very, um, you know, just straight path. And if you didn't fit on that path, you sort of, you couldn't be important. Your, your, your contributions just must not have really, you know, was they were always, the credit went to the people who were most visible and most in, in sort of control of things. And what's happening now is we're realizing so many momentous, be it inventions, be it fashion, be it uh, writing, be it mathematics. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many stories from people who have been sort of left in the shadows. And I find those are really exciting to bring to life and to make people um, aware. I think it's inspiring for younger people, especially to see, hey, they're people who look like me, or they're people who are like me, who really have done amazing things, and I never knew that before. And I think that's really important. And one of the things I care about is bringing some of those stories to life, like Hester's. I mean, it's, you know, when I read started reading about regency history there was just you're right there were there was nothing about it was all bar, uh, balls and parties and shopping right. uh, and, and, and you know no you know you now realize there are some amazing woman artists and you you just they were never in the in the um in the in the books you know the the art books they were they were sort of you know no you could be amused but you actually weren't really an artist and those those stories are being um, told now, and it's it's really great. Well, I still remember one of your early regencies, a stroke of luck, because you um, demonstrated that you could still maintain the integrity of a traditional regency romance, everything that readers loved about it, but you bring new things in, like who would have thought golf? that's fun I guess I've always liked to to take uh 
very traditional tropes and and find some way to make them um, interesting. And I think, you know, I am I, I'm a real history nerd. Nothing makes me happier than to go down these little rabbit holes and say, oh, my goodness, I never knew that connected to that. And before you know it, you find some other really interesting little fact. And um, I, I think those are really fun to work in um, to, uh, to stories. Um, Let's talk a little bit before we run out of time, because um, The Diamond of London is your first historical fictional biography, but sure, you've been writing historical mysteries for quite a while. You have two different series, um, your Rex, Rexford and Sloan and your Lady Ariana mysteries. Can you tell us a little bit about each of them? And what I found fascinating, I didn't realize until recently, how brilliant you were about Rexford and Sloan because you created a right brain, left brain kind of detective pair. <laughs> I just didn't see it until somebody pointed it out to me. I thought, wow, that really is clever. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. I I, I think um, it, it the Rexford and Sloan, um, because uh, one of the points I made earlier was I found the idea that technology disrupting society. So all of the, I, I, there's always a scientific element. It's usually the MacGuffin in the story. There, there's some sort of scientific innovation that triggers a murder and then an investigation. So then the two um, uh, protagonists, the two sleuths, um, uh, one is um, a satirical cartoonist. She, the woman who has taken up the pen of her late husband, but, you know, God forfend, you know, heaven forfend that um, a woman criticized the high and mighty, she has to work under a pen name. But because she has this network of street urchins and, you know, the, the maids and the servants in big houses, is how she has her network of information, how she gets secrets and scandals. And that makes her a perfect person to solve a mystery because she can learn, um, she has sources that um, other people don't have. And the other protagonist is a brilliant scientist who is irascible, he's an aristocrat. And they meet in the first book, they hate each other. She, she has seen um, evidence of a crime and the, the, um, the Earl, my protagonist, has been having a very public war of words with a pious cleric about, about um, lifestyles. And when the pious cleric is found murdered, he, of course, is the first suspect. But my, my, um, my artist happens to have seen evidence at the, at the scene of the crime that makes her think he's not. And they reluctantly agree to work together and lo and behold, they find they really make a good pair. They're both very observant, but they see things in different ways. She, she sees things through an artist's eyes and her intuition. He's absolutely logical and, and based on facts and how empirical evidence and they make a really good team together and they challenge each other um in and they learn from each other on how seeing things through a different lens um can can lead you to um to the truth really um and that has been really fun playing with with um the two different 
two different personalities and and the scientific um, how how change is threatening to society. Um, let's talk a little bit about your own writing, not your writing career, your reading um, life, because I'm always fascinated. You write historical mysteries, historical romances, historical fiction. Do you just read solely historicals, or are you more all over the map when it comes I to? Am all, I am all over the map. I um, I read a lot of nonfiction in mm. in a number of fields. Um, I read, uh, you know, I'm pretty much. I'm not terribly big into science fiction or fantasy, but I have occasionally read some that I really like. But I'm, you know, I love, um, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot of World War II, which yeah. which has been yeah. popular too. The the um, I have author friends, so of course I like to read their books. But it's gotten me interested in other uh, other names that I didn't know. I like like to experiment. I'm a big fan of. Um, um, Robert Galbraith's, um, you know, J Strike um, series. I, I really, I'm, I'm pretty. I just, I, I like to read reviews and say, oh, that sounds interesting, you know, and and try things. I'm, a, I'm a voracious reader. I always have been. That's great. Um, the next question, kind of, is interesting to me because with your background in the fine arts and graphic design. Do you have, when you're working on your books, do you find that your publishers or departments don't want to take your calls or do they welcome your input? What is your relationship when it comes to designing your own books? <laughs> you don't want to ask. <laughs> I think I think I tortured the art director. <laughs> um, I, they're actually, uh, they've been very um very kind we you know i for lady hester this was a hard cover to make because we really, really we really didn't want it to look like a regency romance yeah. and it kept coming back you know uh, he would they would try one tact and and my agent and i would say oh no that you're just not right you're not capturing her spirit and I swear, I don't know how many drafts we were coming to the end of. I I don't know what to do. We're not. It's just <laughs> not great. And then suddenly they showed us this one, and I, which I think is really wonderful. And so all the hard work um, paid off. But yes, I think it. I'm sure the, I'm sure the art director was taking my name <laughs> during the process. <laughs> Because I, you know, I, 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 when they ask for ideas, they probably get more than they want. It's but, kind of challenging because, on the one hand, you want to let them do your their I, thing. But... Yeah, I, listen. I, having been an art director, I know everybody has it. Can you change that? I think that might look better. And I know that's uh, being on the other side. It's like just let me, you know, kind of let me do my thing too so i i do try and be sensitive about that but um i i think i think they've done great on the rest yeah. of the they have and it just underscores that <laughs> as much as we want books to be judged on their contents the first way we pick them up is through their cover because they're important there's no no question about that yeah you i i think you really you really um you you need to get especially this day and age there's so many things mm -hmm. out 
maker and and you really want to um, be make it be the best you feel it can be and and capture something about the story um, to yeah. am I incorrect but you're continuing the lady Ariana series on I, your... am. I I am I've I've been a little busy this past year I am working I'm I actually have one in the works right now I hope will come out in later spring um, is it um been interesting taking charge of the publishing process on your part it has it has I I learn I've um I I I enjoy it I I really do those I design my own covers and I format it format it all I understand how to use that software because in design, I was using, you know, designing pages and doing everything that way. So it is sort of fun to have total control over things, but, um, and being a hybrid and you learn interesting things about publishing. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I think it's sort of the best of both worlds. I love being with, with Kensington and, um, but I, it's fun to have a little keep, keep this one going on on my own what's next for you after the diamond of london well um another rexford and sloan it just went up for pre-order and i'm actually working on the next one too uh -huh. and i'm exploring um i think i mean obviously we'll see how people react to this one but i do have another um woman in mind not going to mention yet because i'm still researching and deciding whether i feel i can do a good story with it um but if it works she it's i think going to be very interesting but i have to make sure i feel i have enough material for it that's great and how can uh, readers learn more about you and your books i'm guessing you have a website are you on social media I have a lot of um, material on my website too. I call it under the diversion um, heading. I have a lot of images like uh, that relate to the to the books. Like I have a whole um, uh, pay or, or story really on satirical art, and I show a lot of examples so people understand what I mean by satirical cartoonist. Um, Walmer Castle, you know, I have images the wonderful old engraving so you can actually see try and do a lot of background material and put it up on on there um for one of the lady ariana books i discovered in paris right after napoleon had been defeated and sent to elba um they they the well actually no after waterloo they the the there were a lot of troops occupying paris the allied troops the russians the prussians and the Russians built roller coasters because they were used to having um in 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 fact in France they're called Montagne Russe. It mount Russian mountains is what roller coasters are called. Because in Russia in the winter, they would make these great slides out of out of um of snow and I and, and sleds. And the Russians built I and I found cartoon, you know, drawings and and wonderful colored images of these amazing roller coasters <laughs> so i worked that into a story i mean when you ask what are little i mean these are the fun things you oh. discover and so i you know i had a i had a chase scene set on the roller coasters <laughs> and then but that but i have images of them they're really worth going and seeing they're there's they're just 
amazing. So again, history just has a lot of fun things and I try and showcase some of them on my website. And are you still part of a group of wenches by any chance? I am. I blog with the word wenches um, and you can find us on online, um, our blog. And that's a lot of fun too. We've all become very, very good friends and we're a bunch of um, writers from all over. <clears throat> Great. Um, I'd like to thank Andrea Penrose for taking time to share with us um, the production and process of creating her fabulous new book, The Diamond of London. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to another virtual author chat at the Poison Pen. We look forward to seeing you virtually next time. And thank you, Andrea. Thank you so much, John. Really always love to be here. Thank you. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.